Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Donut Racing Show, everybody, where we bring a gas station egg salad sandwich mindset to the $12 organic pasture raised egg loving podium of Formula One Racing. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my two co-hosts by their book, Racing with Rich Energy. It's Elizabeth Blackstock. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going back to Montreal, actually. That's how I'm doing. All right. Going, uh, yeah, and- go, going for a press trip. Wow. Right. Very busy. And Alanis King. Hi. Hello, hello. I feel like there's a lot going on in my life, but I'm fine. Sporadic vibes. Just vibes. Amongst this episode. Uh, 100% vibes. The gang is just barely piecing it together. The gang <laughs> does not know what's going on, but we're here. No. Yeah, uh, we're here. And we're going to be talking all your favorite Formula One news from the past week. Yeah, baby. We've got more car liveries. The livery reveals for the last five have happened, so we're going to be chatting about those. We're going to talk through the circuit in Bahrain, where we'll be for preseason testing and the first Grand Prix of the season. And we will close out this episode with a discussion on how much you can actually predict from preseason testing. Which I find fascinating because I love the evolution of preseason testing over time. Like we started where you couldn't take photos or videos or post them on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like preseason testing was so secretive. It was like... It was on lockdown. It, you cannot do anything. And now we have all of this content from preseason testing. But what really can you do with it? We will talk about it. Yeah, they looked at, you know, spring training from baseball. The FIA F1 probably took a look at that and said, huh, people like knowing about the sport they watch before the season starts. So that opened up access to preseason training. And now it's all about hype. Um, but we're going to examine that. But first, let's talk about... The rest of those car launches. 
Yeah, I think hype is a good good lead into this, right? Like car launches are all about hype. You know, sometimes we launch the car, but we don't actually launch the car. We just launch the livery. And they're like, no, this is not the car we're racing. It's all about hype. Last episode, we discussed Red Bull, Haas, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri, and Williams. And uh, we got the remaining team. So let's get into our first one here. All right, so our first one is Aston Martin. Ooh. On February 13th, they released the AMR23 at Silverstone. We are told this is has a heavily revised front wing, new side pods, and a new engine cover with a bigger inlet on the roll hoop. Now, I think we've discussed roll hoops before. The roll hoop is the structure behind the driver's head, is that big old thing behind the driver's head, and there are inlets around it that direct airflow into the power unit. Because you know, when you're powering a vehicle, you need air. So that's the change there. They have bigger inlets near the roll hoop. Um, it's actually incredible how much stress and abuse <laughs> the roll hoop slash air intake for the engine can take on these cars. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see, we see cars regularly flipping over onto their tops for decades now. And uh, mm -hmm. not a lot of drivers have been harmed in those kinds of accidents because of that the strength of that roll hoop. So very cool. Also, the car has to be like lifted by that thing too if they get stuck on track or anything like that. I love when that happens. It always looks so silly when like a Formula One car or an Indy car or something gets lifted after a wreck and it's just kind of dangling there. Reminds me of like a cat that doesn't want to be held. Or <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it no, just, thank it you. looks... It looks so trivial, right? Like, it's just like, oh, look at this silly little spaceship thingy going around the track. And for some reason, I'm watching it. <laughs> In terms of the new Aston Martin car, Fernando Alonso has been really complimentary about it. This man is on his best behavior because he will be on his worst behavior oh, as yeah. the season continues. <laughs> He's so, buying goodwill <laughs> now. Yes, we have to build that goodwill now while he's in a good mood. So he said, and I quote, I have always said that I could see the ambition that shines bright at Aston Martin F1. I was pleasantly surprised when I sampled last year's car for the very first time. And I think there is plenty of performance we can unlock together. I can't wait to get started. I feel like someone wrote that for him. I um, mean, yeah. how many times, guys? I mean, just over the years, I, can I don't have enough hands to count the times that I've heard Fernando Alonso say that he's uh, seen the ambition that shines bright at yeah, Aston 100%. Martin F1. 100%. You know, that, that's like top quote of his. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So no surprise yeah. that uh, he has that to say about this new car. He has always spent all of his free time talking about Aston Martin F1. He's you like, can't wow, get him Aston. to shut up about it. Ooh, it's all he wants to talk so about. Positive. Yeah. He's got yeah. nothing yeah. to say. Famously. He never spends his time going, I hate Esteban Ocon. I want to fight him with my bare hands. He's like, never that's said not, anything of the sort. That is it's not what he spends his been time doing. Aston Martin 24-7. I do hope that this car does well. Fernando is a bit of a, a sourpuss, uh, <laughs> to put it lightly. He's a curmudgeon. He's a villain. Um, and I want to see... I want to see the field mixed up a little bit. I want to see this car do well. You know, a lot of people are saying that this is sort of like a dark horse car, that it could be a, an underdog of sorts, especially with Fernando behind the wheel. And let's not forget Lance Stroll. Ah, so, that's our guy right gonna, there. That's my favorite. This is my favorite duo on the grid this year is Lance Stroll. I can't it's get so, Alonso. It's actually 
so funny that they are teammates. <laughs> I think it's so funny that Nolan wants to see the car do well because, like, can you imagine the power it would give old Fernando Alonso to have a car that oh does God. well? Like, yes. this man is up at the front, and he's like, are you kidding me? I can play bumper cars with Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. I am going to send them into every wall I can find. I think we're going to see a, a front row start from an Aston Martin this season, I think, with Alonzo behind the wheel. Sorry, Lance. Um, Fernando has that dog in him. But, I mean, we've seen... We've <laughs> Some seen, species of dog is in we, him, yes. We've seen uh, Aston Martin. We've seen what they're capable of. 2021 at, at Baku in Azerbaijan. Sebastian Vettel finished second place in his Aston Martin. That was one of the most exciting races of that season. I remember that for sure. They just got to put the pieces together. Just like every other team out there, but yeah. uh, I think I think we'll see it. We got to round these bases. Yeah, we got to round these bases, and we are rounding the bases to our next car launch, um, which is McLaren. So again, February thirteenth, the MCL sixty. Now this name jumped from the MCL thirty six. They debuted they debuted this at the McLaren Technology Center, and you know. We, we have our notes for this podcast, and it literally says the MCL 60. We jumped from the MCL 36, and I'm like... That's a difference of 24. That's, that's a difference of 24. What's going on here? So there's a little note um, in the debut that they jumped to 60 because we are commemorating a 60th anniversary. Oh. Because, you know... Um, Didn't okay. Ferrari do that last, last year? I think Ferrari was the F75 or whatever. Yeah, something yes. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, McLaren, I was trying to figure out what is with these car names? Because as a car reviewer, as someone who drives cars, we always say automakers, don't use numbers and letters. Use words. No one knows what your MD2436, 75. Yeah, no one knows what that is. No one knows what the BZ4X is. Use something normal. So I was like, how does McLaren name its cars? Um, I Googled this. So they're like, our first Formula One car was known as the M2B. You might think the M stands for McLaren and the B for Bruce, but had you given that answer on popular BBC television show QI, you'd have triggered the obvious answer siren and been docked points. What is the obvious answer, McLaren? I don't know. They said, in our first Formula One entry, we used the M2A, and then we updated it to make the M2B, and then somehow we got to the M5A. And then the M3A, and then the M7A, and then the M6A, and then the M23, and then we start getting the M26. Okay. It's like an algebra uh, problem, which I was not good at. Yeah, no, 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 no. And so our last section here is titled A New Era. The obvious answer might not have been correct for our first F1 car, but it is the MCL32. They expected me to learn something from that. I did not learn a single thing. Um, glad they wrote it, though. Let's talk about the MCL 60 real quick, the new car. Uh, yeah. Last season, they had the, the chrome wheels, the Google chrome wheels with the yellow, red, blue, and green wheel covers. I thought they were pretty sick. Google chrome is now a more prominent title sponsor of the car. Uh, now you have the full chrome logo on the air intake and the little fenders on the front wheels. Not mm -hmm. only do you have the, the chrome logo on the wheel cover, but now the, the little fenders as well. I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, I hate this. I hate this livery. I kind of liked it last year. 
Like, I appreciate the effort that McLaren has put in here at making, like, this brand recognition across all of its entries and open wheels. The similar liveries you'll find in F1, Formula E, and also IndyCar. I hate blue paired with orange. (laughs) It's just the worst two colors in my eyes that you could put together. I just can't. Every time I look at these cars, it makes me upset. Elizabeth walks outside in the middle of the day and she looks at the sky and she goes, I hate blue. Why are you blue? And I give it the willpower double bird. Wow, that's incredible. Um, um, you know, Elizabeth, I think you need to find some happiness. Yeah, I I, I didn't like this livery last year, even though uh, more paint was covering the car. But uh, a big trend we're seeing this year with the liveries is less paint overall and more bare exposed carbon because paint weighs pounds so to hit that uh, minimum weight limit you know a lot of teams are using less and less paint at the end of this rundown we'll we'll talk about a team that barely uses any paint but Mm -hmm, i mean mm -hmm. this is the result this ugly ass paint job on this (laughs) mclaren is a result of that thinking honestly just lose the blue for me yeah more orange yeah mclaren and papaya orange that's like that's what it is blue and the black one like just pick one You'll remember a few years ago, Ferrari unveiled a new race car for the season, and Ferrari has typically done gloss. Like, you see that glossy Mm -hmm. red and black. A few years ago, they unveiled a matte livery, and they said the reason we went from gloss to matte was because the gloss weighs more, and we took the gloss off uh, because we want our car to be lighter. Um, In terms of the McLaren, they have a new team boss, Andrea Stella. Andrea said... They're not really into the new car yet, but they're continuing development. In quotes, he said, So we are happy, not entirely happy, for what is the launch of the car, but optimistic that we should take a good step soon. Yeah, this not feels a like good a sign. couple going to counseling right now. Like, <laughs> we are happy. We are not entirely happy, though. We are going to work on it. Not a good sign uh, going into this season. Uh, all right, yeah, so we'll see what Lando and Oscar Piastri can do with this McLaren Alanis, what's our next car? Um, our next car is our lovely, lovely team that got rid of that gloss a few years ago, Ferrari. So um, they unveiled the SF23. We're going back down. No more 75. Down to 23 in Marinello. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. The car looks really similar to last year's car. And I think the coolest part about it is that there is a story on the Formula One website. It's Tech Analysis Ferrari's 2023 SF23. You can go to this link on the Formula One website and they did this like cool little compilation of side-by-side photos of the car from this year and last year. And it's super helpful. Like you can see just like the subtle changes. And I one thing I really like about Formula One is that as the years go on, these cars generally look similar, you know, but they change just slightly every year. Like they get a little more flowy and a little more, you know, uh, reptile-y with their, with their gills and all that stuff. And it's just like a really cool side-by-side. I really like it. Um, so you can go look on the website. You can see the difference in the car shapes and everything like that. Yeah, the side pods are different. We're not a technical show, and I have no idea what these changes do, but the side pods do be different. Ferrari says the car is an evolution of the one they raced last year, but in reality, it has been completely redesigned. Again, what does that mean? <laughs> like, one or the other. Pick one, Ferrari. Um, 
you know, we did need an evolution from last year. Ferrari was not great last year. They were fast, uh, but they were a disaster. The car was a disaster in terms of reliability. So, you know, if we evolve from that, then maybe we're in a in a good position. Um, some of those evolutions or complete redesigns include increased vertical downforce to adapt to new aero regulations, uh, a suspension redesign, uh, specifically in the front suspension, a new and a new front wing with a different nose construction. Did a rhinoplasty here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I really hope that the biggest redesign and evolution that we see like you said is the the strategy the team itself yeah. you know mm-hmm. the the mindset that they have they had going a great car races. that they just needed to make something more of yes yeah it sounds like they took a look at themselves and were like okay the car wasn't necessarily the issue maybe it was me this whole time that would know? have been a great like meme valentine um so sad the valentine's day is over and i can't use it but it's not the car. It's me. Ouch. Yeah. Anyway, I think the car looks great. Classic Ferrari. They even though they 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 used a lot of paint on this car compared <laughs> to the other other competitors. Uh, there's a lot of red on here, but that's how you know, man. That's how you know it's a Ferrari. Can't be doing an Alfa Romeo where half of it's black. You know. You do then, know that it's a Ferrari if it's not pink because Ferrari does not do any pink cars that is true certain game developers have told stories of ferrari been like no you cannot paint that is disgusting and you cannot paint our cars pink that meant you couldn't paint any of the cars in the game pink because that's just how the game engine worked. anyway ferrari looking good hope it uh works out for you guys i just hope everyone does well (laughs) (laughs) all right so our next release was the Mercedes, the W14, which came out on February 15th in Silverstone. This car has, it has not bucked the trend. It is all black with a few little colored Mm -hmm. accents. I will admit there's some neon green and that Patronus blue teal color. Looks, it looks pretty Mm -hmm. sick. It's still got those very cut side pods that they had last year that they, I, I am yep. unclear as to whether or not that was a good idea, but Mercedes has decided that they're going to stick to their guns. They're trying to make the most of last year's high-speed downforce, but take care of the porpoising issue. There are some clips, however, circulating on Twitter. We will share these on our Donut Racing Show Twitter account uh, of Lewis Hamilton in the new car, and that head be bouncing. So we'll we'll see how it goes uh, when it actually gets on the track. I just hope they do well. I just it, the car looks really sick. Like it looks really really neat, and I want the best for them. That sucks to hear because from everything else about Mercedes and Lewis, everything that they've been kind of uh, hyping up this week with the car, the car is going back to an all black paint job. Lewis has his. It's a throwback to his earlier helmets purple with the the highlighter yellow highlights he's got this now it says still i rise on the back of his helmet again for a couple years there he said he had still we rise so it's like no he is on his own it's like lewis (laughs) is like back in the saddle he's gonna go he's going for the title this year we're not messing around anymore uh we're back but to hear that that head be bobbling kind of takes a little wind out of my sails on that one to be honest yeah I'm, I'm hoping it's still just, there's still work being done before we actually hit testing. I hope that they will solve that problem, but the clips that I was, I was seeing last night were not great. They were not promising at all. 
You know, um, I will say that last year's Mercedes car did not do much for anybody, specifically yeah. Mercedes. Um, but the one thing it did, we introduced the term porpoising into the the normal dialogue. And porpoising, as we know, is when a car bounces up and down. And so everybody knows the word porpoising, right? Last week in Daytona 500 qualifying, one of the cars out there, Connor Daly, he gets on track and that car is bouncing. So it is like a basketball. No one knows what's going on. And he somehow qualified for the Daytona 500, despite having a car that didn't work at the misfortune of everyone else. And I put a, I tweeted a GIF of the car bouncing up and down. And I said, everything happens for a porpoise, like purpose. (laughs) That Mercedes car last year brought that joke into the mainstream, and oh I just, I love a good pun, so, so I'm so glad everyone knows what porpoising yeah, is. Yeah, make sure you follow Alanis, Alanis and King <laughs> on Twitter, so you don't miss any of this gold. The um, bangers, that was a banger, I'm telling it was you. A good one. So, thank you. So we'll see with this Mercedes. I it looks badass, man. But the question it is, does. will it look badass at the front of the field that or sounds, in the middle of it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We've got the Alpine. Alpine saved, I think, maybe the best for last. Uh, the yeah. A523 was released in London on February 16th. We've got some gorgeous color. The BWT sponsorship brings that pink and blue livery. Again, I'm not oh, yeah. a big blue for big blue fan. However, it's got pink on it, so I'm sold. It looks pretty good. There will be a special, mostly all pink livery for a few races Can't this wait. year. Chef's kiss, gorgeous. I We need more pink race cars in our lives. Alpine does not suffer from Ferrari's problems of anti-pink. I completely agree. And, you know, I think the more anti-pink the drivers are, the more pink the cars should be. I am, again, Correct. talking about Nico Hulkenberg. I am, I am targeting <laughs> Nico Hulkenberg with my comments. <sighs> yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> To see that full pink livery. Uh, this kind of looks good. I like it. Yeah, we'll see what happens with Alpine, you know? The teammates that actually hate each other, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon, which is great. I cannot wait. That's that's going to be my favorite part of the season, I think. I completely agree. I, kinda, I think it's kind of cool that it's like a French team with two French drivers. I think it's kind of cool that we have drivers who will have fights on the same team. I love when that happens. It's going to be great. All right, fellas, what is your favorite livery this year? What is your number one? My favorite car this year is the Mercedes. I just love the menacing look of the all-black paint job. Uh, I think it signifies that Mercedes, they're going to be bringing it, and I, I'm, I'm rooting for them. I have to agree with Elizabeth. Um, that pink Alpine, I love a pink F1 car. That's my favorite. If you could see my background right now, you would see that I had painted my whole office pink, my laptop is pink. Everything I own, my chair, everything. Pink. I'm going with Alpine, too. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time for our first track walk of the season. Put those trainers on and get your pedometer. Bahrain International Circuit is one of the newer tracks on the calendar. Its first race was in 2004. Uh, I was 11 years old. I really loved BMX bikes and my cat. Anyway, wow. like the Yas Marina. Has anything changed? No, nothing's changed. <laughs> Not a single thing. Uh, like the Yas Marina in Abu Dhabi, uh, famous F1 track designer Herman Tilke had blank sandy land to work with in Bahrain. And what he came up with, dear listener, well, it's one of my favorite tracks on the calendar, that's for sure. <laughs> The 3.36-mile track often offers great racing and overtaking opportunities, and the challenges don't end there. There's wildly fluctuating temperatures, aggressive winds, and racing under floodlights, and it all adds to the tension of the race. There's sometimes, like, little sandstorms, too. Mm-hmm. I love dust. when the track gets sandy. We're talking about the circuit today because Bahrain is not only home to the first Grand Prix of the season, which is March 5th. We're getting closer. Um, But it's also where preseason testing is going to happen. And preseason testing is tomorrow, February 23rd, through Saturday, February 25th. Guys, how do you feel about Bahrain? Not the country, but the track. (laughs) This is a loaded question. Cracking into that can of worms early in the season. Bahrain's one of those tracks I'm kind of hit or miss on. I don't really like it as a season opener, but I I think that there's like no good circuit on the calendar for a season opener right now. So I guess you might as well have it at Bahrain. Okay, well, what's a good circuit for the season opener, Elizabeth? Watkins Glen. Putting her on the hot seat. Watkins, Watkins Glen. Glen. You know what yeah, I there's nothing, there's like nothing on the current calendar that I actually think would make a good season opener. Like Coda, because I live here. There's so much hype that goes into the like the beginning of a season that I feel like no circuit actually currently lives up to it because of all of the runoff areas and stuff we have to have now. I hate to sound like an old man about this and like, please bring back the danger. <laughs> That's not what I'm asking for. I, I agree. It does feel weird as a season opening trap because I mean, it hasn't been around as long as some of the other ones. It doesn't have mm-hmm. like the legacy of a track like Imola or Silverstone. Yeah. The season opener has always been Australia, uh, mm-hmm. as long as I've been watching, at least until recent years. So it just it feels weird for it not to be Melbourne to open the season. I agree, because I think we kind of get into patterns as fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's good to break patterns. It, it's good to go and do new things. But it also is kind of fun to know what to expect. And I also, what I really like about a Formula One broadcast is, you know, you wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and 
you do your little your track breakdown and they're like welcome to australia and you're just like yeah woohoo um i don't know oh, i man. i do get into the the routine of it and it's weird to change up that routine i do think it's a good track i think like the the long straightaway into that hairpin uh into a left-hander is like such a cool uh great overtaking area and also really difficult and then there's like in sector two, there's a really cool downhill chicane kind of thing into another hairpin into another straight. I think the design is really cool visually, like you said, without those like notable runoff areas. You know, it's not the most interesting track to look at, but I do think it's cool that they run at night that mm-hmm. at, like night races are sweet. Um, yeah. Also, pretty challenging, demanding track too for preseason testing. So it's going to really put these cars through a ringer and see what they're made of. I think much like we talked about the French Grand Prix last year, um, someone should have a button to turn on the sprinklers. I think what would make this the perfect season opener is that a random dude on a couch somewhere has a button and he presses it and a sandstorm happens. And it's just like, whoosh. All right. And then there's sand everywhere. There's just me in a corner throwing handfuls of it. (laughs) Okay, but (laughs) wait. Pocket sand. Pocket sand, exactly. Pocket sand is a great idea. All right. So if you're going to the race in Bahrain, pocket sand, load up, throw it on the track. Go. Yeah. Metal detectors can't find it. It's sand. It's made of silica. <laughs> that gives a whole new meaning to sandbagging. <laughs> <laughs> Nolan, that was so funny. And you know it. You know it. Nolan is shaking his head no. Sandbagging. No, I get it. It's so funny. <laughs> that is incredible. That is the funniest joke in the world. Nolan is Nolan is salty. Well, that's a given. Uh, let's talk about preseason testing a little bit more. Liz, fill us in on the history of preseason testing. So back in the old days, there was no mandated preseason testing. Teams could just like show up at a track and put their cars on it and see what would happen. Uh, but in 1986, driver Elio DeAngelis was killed during a test session at Paul Ricard. Uh, this was an era where safety was becoming more critical as bit more eyes were on the sport. They, things were being televised. It's harder to explain a death to, you know, the millions of people watching as opposed to just, you know, the few thousand at the track. At that time, the FIA required that all test sessions then had to be run under full race meeting safety conditions. Later in the early 2000s, they added even more restrictions and regulations. Basically, the goal was to level the playing field, which is something we've been seeing in a lot of these current regulations, especially coming into 2022. Uh, And it was also an effort to combat rising costs. So now, preseason testing has some very specific parameters. This year, it'll be run for three days in two four-hour sessions separated by a one-hour break. That's usually, they call it the lunch break. Uh, this is also significantly cut down from years past. I believe that they've halved preseason testing uh, this season as opposed to last year. There was also a test in uh, Barcelona, uh, and then they went to Bahrain. One car per team is allowed to run at any time, so you cannot have both Haas cars on the track. Only one. That's it. Both drivers, however, will put laps in these cars, uh, and some reserve drivers also will take a spin behind the wheel just to kind of acquaint them with what they're dealing with if they should have to pop in halfway through the season for whatever reason. 
Pirelli will be offering all five tire compounds during testing. That gives you a chance to see how you actually work uh, on all of those tires and get some real-world data. Some teams will try to use this time to try out potential and unregulated upgrades. So back in 2013, for example, Williams ran some bits of illegal bodywork, and in 2020, Mercedes had the dual axis steering system or DAS. Oh, so, so that sorry. was yeah. that was so cool where you would see Lewis Hamilton pushing or pulling on the steering wheel. And that that changed the the uh changed the alignment of the front wheels so therefore you could warm up your front tires faster mm-hmm. because there's more friction and it was awesome. Yes. And everyone said, "What so cool. the heck? <laughs> yeah. You guys are so dominant that you had time to develop a system like this. We can barely even get our our car running. And look at them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sad. Mercedes ran that DAS uh, system during preseason testing. It was immediately banned because everyone, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a pretty significant step forward for an already dominant car. Yeah. It would have probably made them extremely more dominant. So they, mm-hmm. the FIA and Formula One said no go. Uh, but that is, you will occasionally see those things pop up in testing, which is really neat. Um, it's one of those those playgrounds that still exists in the sport. Testing also features unlimited runs, so teams can go out and run as much as they need to during those prescribed hours of track time. I went and double-checked last night just to make sure that this hadn't changed. The FIA rulebook doesn't really seem to have a rule mandating that unlimited runs are allowed. However... The FIA also, in its rule book, changes rules between years with pink highlighted text. And nothing in that pink highlighted text changed between years. So I'm going to go out on limb here and assume that they, they are still letting unlimited runs happen. The one thing I take away from um, this testing and rules discussion is that, you know, back in the day, like 40 years ago, everybody was just kind of chilling. Like they were just kind of doing whatever going out on tracks, dying, doing all this stuff. And that was bad in a lot of ways. But also, <laughs> yeah. do I do I envy being a part of an era where you could just show up and like do stuff and get in the history books? Yes. Do I envy that? Like would I have just wanted to walk up to a Formula 1 race and been like, "Yeah, put me in the car." Absolutely. I just 100%. had a glass of bourbon. I can drive. <laughs> yeah, like, it helps my I, nerves. Can I, I smoke? Di- <laughs> would I have died? Probably. Um, would I be in the history books? Maybe. Maybe. All right. So there are a couple of different types of runs, if you will, during uh, testing. Okay. So at first up, we got performance runs, okay, which are laps where the team takes some fuel out of the car and try to find one lap performance. What's what is this car like flat out? Okay, these are super easy to spot since drivers are going to alternate between hot laps and cool down laps like you might do at your own track day. Helps the tire recovery and allows time to recharge the battery in the hybrid system. These aren't really that helpful for us watching because teams will run with different fuel loads. So it makes it really hard to compare lap times. You know, people might be like, oh, Ferrari just ran a really quick lap while Mercedes is like seven tenths behind. What does that tell us? Well, not a lot because we don't really know how much the cars weigh at those given times. Slower cars will often run on fumes to look more competitive than they actually are, while teams like Mercedes will deliberately sandbag 
Alanis. Sandbag in the in the normal connotation yes. of the term, uh, not throw bags yeah. of sand they'll, on uh, the track. Just they'll put more clarifying. They'll put more fuel in their car. Uh, they'll you know deliberately miss certain apexes on track to hide the car's true pace. Uh, it's pretty interesting the mind games that these teams play. Sandbagging is actually super useful for gathering data. It gives the engineers a more practical baseline to work from. Teams will be doing those kind of laps with uh, different fuel loads. They'll be testing all five of those tire compounds, trying to gather as much data as possible. That's one method of doing it. Then, some days, you'll hear about teams doing race simulations. And this is uh, where a lot of helpful data for race day comes from, okay? Drivers will try to complete at least one race simulation before the first race so they can actually get a feel for how the car would perform over a Grand Prix distance. So they're running race pace with race fuel loads. They're doing pit stops. Uh, they're, they're calculating strategies and everything. They're acting like it's a race, you know, to gather that race data. Engineers can gather that information. These laps make it easier for fans to compare performance since the cars are forced to start out with the same fuel load. Uh, I'm not really sure if teams all choose the same day to do race simulations or not. Uh, it would make sense maybe earlier in the test uh, session, maybe earlier on in the in the testing week, you do your uh, performance laps and whatever, and then near the end when you know the car's working, that's when you try to uh, do a race distance and also make sure that there's no mechanical issues that you might not be aware of. This is where you're testing reliability. I was going to say, this is where re reliability comes in because if you're paying closer attention to testing, when you see teams transition from those performance laps and there's outlaps of just gathering basic information to the race simulation, that's when you kind of get a sense that they know what they're doing. It's not an exact science, and it's not a guarantee that those are the teams that have everything put together. Uh, but if you can go a full race distance, that's a great sign. If you're still struggling to put in a few consecutive laps, that is bad news bears. Yeah, and a really interesting question from preseason testing is, can we learn anything from it? People are playing mind games. People are running different fuel loads. There's a lot going on. Um, testing is less a preview for the season, and it's more a starting point. You know, everybody's just going out there doing their thing, and some people have it figured out. Some people don't. Some people have it figured out enough to sandbag. Um, teams get to continuously develop their cars throughout the season, and they don't always show everything they've got in testing. <laughs> Mercedes. So in 2015, for example, Sauber looked like they would be the best of the rest. And in Formula One, you have two tiers of competition. You have the best, Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari at the top. And then the rest, which is the seven other teams. <laughs> the title and the best of the rest is fourth place. So 2015, Sauber looked like they'd be on top of that um, in because they had a great preseason testing run and they had a really good first race. They finished fifth and eighth, but they struggled to further develop their car and they ended up finishing eighth out of 10 in the Constructors' Championship. So again, you can come out in preseason testing and do your thing and then you can suck the rest of the year. So Super possible. Mercedes, as we said, notoriously tricky for not showing its full speed. And other constructors go all out because they know that they'll look good. But the really important thing about testing is that the number of laps run often tells us more than what speed does. This is where we can look at the reliability of the cars. So take, for example, back in 2019, this was Haas's season with Rich Energy. And if you remember Haas's season with Rich Energy, 
the VF-19, which was the car that Haas ran, was horrible. It was, wow. Like, they would have been better off in quite literally a Camry from the Toyota dealership down the road. Like, this car, it didn't work. It wasn't fast. It wasn't good. It wasn't reliable. Um, But in preseason testing, Haas set some fast times. And the really interesting thing was when preseason testing wrapped up in the winners and losers rankings, Haas was classified as a loser because they had so few laps. That car spent so much time on the back of a truck or stopped on track or causing red flags or having issues. It was a great foreshadowing for what was to come. So if you want kind of an accurate idea of who's going to be really unreliable, look at lap counts. That's important. Uh, But what do we think of testing overall? I mean, how do we feel about this? I generally feel like more stuff to watch and pay attention to better, but I don't count it as anything realistic for the upcoming season. Yeah, I want our listeners to kind of take everything with a big grain of salt. Mm -hmm. In regards to things they see online, the inevitable hyperbole we're going to see online Mm -hmm. when testing starts the entire season is not uh, decided in a a test session. No, know? it's usually decided by about halfway through the third race. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. just wait until that point yes. and you'll be good. Yes. <laughs> I, I think like testing is a lot of fun. I love to watch cars on track. And especially now that we actually get more access to the testing, it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, obviously you're not going to be able to predict the end of the season based on the first preseason test. But I think there is a lot to be gained from looking at the nuance of it. And especially uh, if you're a nerd like me who likes to know how things work and figure these things out, you can start to get a sense of what you're going to see based on things like fast laps. You can start to wonder maybe, you know, who's got the chops for pole position throughout the year. Uh, Ferrari is generally pretty fast on over a single lap in testing, and you'll see that in qualifying as well. Uh, it, you know, seeing how many laps teams have logged, who's going to do well in reliability. It's not always a perfect guarantee, but it is a lot of fun to, you know, to dive in and see. You know, I like to make predictions. I'm usually wrong, so it's fine. But just like have fun with it. Don't take it seriously. Yeah, and you know the great thing about only one car on track uh, is the fact that Red Bull can't practice executing team orders with Daniel and Max. Again, conspiracy. <laughs> Say it. Just see who listens better. <laughs> is it Daniel or is it Checo? Who listens to our orders better? They're going to be practicing like running physical foot laps in the back of the garage. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, I need you to move pull over. over. Stop running. <laughs> Stop running. Bring it down to a walk. Let Max pass. All right. It's the end of the episode. It's time for Boyfriend of the Week, our semi-recurring segment where we acknowledge who's the best. It's genderless here. Okay, everybody? It can be anybody. It can be a driver. It's also personless. Personless. Entityless. It can be anybody. Sentientless. Yes. It can be a driver. It can be a car. Be a moment, a team lead, someone online with a hot take. You get the picture. Who's good enough to be our boyfriend this week? Remember, it's middle school rules. So just for this week, I'm going to start it off. My boyfriend of the week is London Printworks Nightclub. Wow, that is a lot to take. Yes. Interesting. The reason they have a they have an Alpine F1 car hanging from their ceiling right now. Yeah. 
And Ooh, that's pretty nice. sick. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty sick. I think that was uh, a good pick. I want to go here. I'll be going to going over to Europe in September. I probably won't be going Ooh. to the UK. I want to find something like this where they hang cars from the ceiling. That sounds like a cool place to hang out and drink some Aperol spritzes. Nolan's just like, I'm going to Europe. I don't know where in Europe. I might be. I don't know. I'm well, just going that going way. To, we're flying to Bar- Barcelona. And then, um, oh, okay. yeah, then we're thinking about going over to Porto in Portugal. And then we're going okay. to the wedding over on the Riviera. That's incredible. So, wow. I'm, I'm stoked. My boyfriend of the week. We're going just normal thought rules here. And my boyfriend of the week is Yuki Sonoda because I saw a photo of Yuki Sonoda in a neck-to-toe jumpsuit um, <laughs> with a diagonal zipper across it. Ooh. So he was wearing a black... Was a, that was a good fit. Yeah, black jumpsuit with a little waistband on it. It was tied kind of like a, a karate waistband and diagonal zipper. It started at one shoulder and it went to the other side of the waist. And a look I that I like, could never pull off. Yeah, I was just like, wow, Yuki, you know what? I respect that. I respect that a lot. And, you know, I come from a land of sponsor polos in NASCAR. And, you know, you go to the NASCAR clash in Los Angeles and everybody's wearing a sponsor polo. And then you see Yuki Sonoda in a full body jumpsuit with a diagonal zipper. And I thought it was lovely. Thank you so much, Yuki. Um, Appreciate you. I may buy that jumpsuit. Hopefully it's not (laughs) $10,000. Good luck. All right. I am going with a... Formula One team, who obviously listened to our podcast last week. Okay. Because Haas is now sponsored by Chipotle. They got a great sponsor. They listened to us. They knew what we needed. They heard the Americans plea, and they picked a great brand. I cannot wait to go to Chipotle, which I will probably actually never do because I live in Texas, (laughs) and I can go to the gas station and get better tacos. (laughs) But it was wonderful to see... They obviously listened, and we can, here at Donut Racing Show, we're taking full credit for that. You're welcome. I tell you what, um, it cannot be understated that if you're in Texas and you want some good food, go to the gas stations or the strip malls I believe or whatever. That you do that 100%. Uh, thank you so much. I do. Um, that's where you find it. And If you are paying more than $2 for a taco, you've done it wrong. So I'm going to go. You've to, done it wrong. I'm going to try to go Two to Chipotle today, actually. In fact, because I'm a basic California boy. I love my Chipotle. Yeah. You know, Haas announced this Chipotle sponsorship with a photo of Kevin Magnuson and Nico Hulkenberg. And they were in their, their little fire suits, their MoneyGram Haas F1 fire suits. And they each had a brown bag <laughs> in their hands. So cute. And it was shoulder height. And their hands were outstretched as far it's as possible. It's pretty funny. Yeah. As if to say, I've never eaten this in my life. Yes. As if there is a contagion in the bag. As, yeah. Um, like, don't let me smell flavor. I have to go eat my plain chicken breast later. Yeah. I have to go eat my my, my rice cakes. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> what a mess. Um, I think it's a great meme template if you want it. It's on the Haas F1 Instagram account. Um. I posted that I thought it would be a good meme template, and somebody photoshopped over the bags P19 and P20, and <laughs> I thought it was beautiful. That's messed up. Uh, maybe Ouch. for the maybe for one of these U.S. races, they they unveil an all brown livery. Oh my god! Oh, please. please, brown bag, oh. brown Chipotle bag. That'd anyway, be awful. 
Listen, I love memes, all right? If you want to tweet me some Haas F1 Chipotle memes, if you want to tweet at Donut Racing Show with some Haas F1 Chipotle memes, we would love it. Please. Uh, Yeah, do Twitter. Do Twitter. I can't keep up with your Instagram messages. (laughs) All right. Thank you all for listening to the Donut Racing Show, especially Haas. You are, again, welcome. We will be back next week to talk about our thoughts on the new season of Drive to Survive and to talk about our predictions coming out of preseason testing, all about what we saw. We're only two weeks away from the start of the season. Oh my goodness, it's been so long. So make sure to subscribe and tell your friends to tune into the show. And if you want to leave us a five-star and kindly worded review, it really helps us out. Thank you so much. Yeah, if you're not familiar with Donut, we have a YouTube channel as well as an automotive history podcast called Pass Gas. You can check them both out. You can also follow DRS on Twitter at Donut Racing Show. Tweet us your Chipotle memes. You can follow me at Alanis in King on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Elizabeth at Eliz underscore Blackstock on Twitter and Eliz A Blackstock on Instagram. And you can follow Nolan at Nolan J. Sykes on both. We love y'all so much. We cannot wait to talk to you next week. And yeah, be well. Bye. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.